This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Rachel Elena Williams. Rachel makes abstract paintings that incorporate cut canvas shapes and lengths of clothesline rope all thoughtfully assembled together and painted with a vibrant selection of acrylic and flash paints. Her finished works are unstretched and feature dynamic contours that defy the traditional rectangular picture plane, while negative spaces and wayward lines pull viewers in, out, and around the overall compositions. The work can suggest invented calligraphy or symbolic glyphs and showcase the many exchanges between painting, drawing, and sculpture. We recorded this conversation at my studio in the bed section of Brooklyn. Um, so one of the things, you know, your work straddles a few, it walks a line for me. And that's one of the, um, one of the things I really like about it. It sort of floats between being painting. It floats into, it shifts into drawing at certain points. And then it shifts into being a sculptural object at another point. And in, and another time that I spoke spoke with you about this, you mentioned you you sort of weren't didn't weren't you weren't sure if that was okay that it sort of shifted around like that. And I think it was like, no, that's great. Yeah, and I'm wondering how you feel about it today, since of some a couple that's weeks true. has passed since we talked about it. I feel like it's definitely a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's fun, mm-hmm. and it kind of allows me and the viewer to feel free from any of the boxes, so you don't really. Like you can find yourself asking like, what is it? And then it's like, it's just art. I think it's just an object, something beautiful to look at. So I guess it kind of goes, it's a good thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that flexibility is a nice place to operate sometimes. Yeah. And especially if it's something that, you know, it's not something I've definitely seen like as clear in that way, especially when it comes to the drawing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people think a lot about like the shaped canvas aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think about the drawing aspect of it, it's so it's pretty unique in that way. Right. Right. I guess like thinking about this, like how we, you know, you mentioned put ourselves in these boxes or other people put ourselves, put us in these boxes and it serves a purpose, right? It's it like gives gives the viewer some context to how to frame your work or whatever. But I'm wondering when you meet someone new um, and they ask you what type of artist you are, what 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 your response is? Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough question, but it's it's a I think it's a good one. And I ask I ask artists this question in various ways. Often well, if recordings. the person gives me good vibes, I'll okay. answer. Okay. If they give me bad vibes, I'll just be like, I make really weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but if they give me good vibes, I'll probably explain it as something that's like a sculptural painting. Okay. Um, that deals a lot with line uh-huh. and form, color, mm-hmm. abstract image brought to life, something around those lines. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I apply those things to your work when I Definitely. think about it. It's a um, good quick image Mm -hmm. that can come to your mind about Mm -hmm. how it functions on the wall. Yeah. Maybe I'll take it, try and describe it. How, what I think about when I see your stuff. 
um, I think a lot about some of the things we just went over. I think about drawing and painting and how those two things can sometimes collide. I think about positive and negative space um, because there are areas of your pieces that are empty, meaning the, the line that forms a shape doesn't have anything in it, so the wall is activated behind it versus another area is filled in with a piece of cut canvas or something like that. So there's this like positive negative thing and um, I like jumping around in that zone. Um, I think about contour with the, the outer shape that the overall piece makes um, and how that kind of feels um, figurative at times or um, almost like a flag or a sail. Um, I think about movement with your pieces, they look like snapshots of energy at times, or snapshots of something moving through space. Um, and that maybe maybe that I could like circle back to the figurative elements, um, almost like someone doing a performance or dancing or like sword fighting or something like that. Those like those are some things that I think about when I take in your stuff. Um, I think about calligraphy uh, with the line that you're describing with the piece of rope and we can talk about how you make your things a little bit but uh, uh, the curve and the bend of your line sometimes reminds me of versions of calligraphy um, and then I start thinking about letter forms and I, then I start thinking about language and then I start thinking about glyphs and symbols and things, awesome. other, things other than letters that, that act as language um, um, I don't know, does, does, does that sit well with you? Those are great. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely nice thinking about, I think a lot about communication. I guess it's kind of everyone, what everyone thinks about now. So calligraphy and text and symbols and acting as signs and functioning as some type of a symbol mm -hmm. is something that I hope that my work can do or one day do or does I think it definitely does yeah but it's distant enough it's not specific mean it doesn't look like a letter a or something like that and it doesn't look like some Egyptian hieroglyphic or anything like that it's like removed enough from those things to be yeah. its own thing I want to be clear for listeners that it's not no, you no, know, no. it's not like a symbol of an eye or something like that, right? I do use it's text It's completely in invented. It. Yeah. Yeah. I'll use text in it sometimes as kind of like a guide. And sometimes mm -hmm. the words will come across a little bit more and sometimes a little less, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. And I really like that kind of interaction between being able to read something and thinking that you're reading something and losing yourself in just sound yeah. and phonetics and speech and language. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, we mentioned at the start, sort of there's a mix of painting and drawing and sculpture. I wonder if this is a good spot to talk about how you how you start these things and how you work on them and maybe even how you finish them. Um, oh, yes. Can, can you maybe, like, how do you start them? Is it start with, like, a like a, a sketch or something or you just jump into it? What's the first well, move? Well, it's actually almost all of them start differently. So there's, like, three elements, I think, to each of, I would say, three elements. Okay. The shape of the canvas the line which is the rope mm -hmm. and the paintings that are already on the canvas right so the paintings are usually where i start and then so you paint unrolled canvas yeah i paint okay. um on or unstretched, unstretched canvas, canvas yeah to say. okay and then that kind of gives me 
a good idea of how to work with color and to move things around and mm-hmm. it really helps and also gives a, that energy of kind of like something is missing from mm-hmm. the image or something is coming from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then from there it kind of goes between the line and the shape, which is always an interesting thing because sometimes the work can look more heavy on the line and sometimes it can look more heavy right. on the shape. And the line is the rope that you're talking about. Yeah. Right. I would say that, yeah, the line is in this context referring right. to so the So it's rope. not a drawn or painted line. It's a, it's a molded line or yeah. a sculpted line with it's the, with, sculpted. with a piece of rope that you're sort of moving, you know, yeah, I would kind of describe it as like a shape. 3D pen. You know, you paint on the canvas, but at a certain point you cut shapes out of that unstretched canvas. Does yeah. that happen? What, at what point does that happen? Because I'm wondering, because oh, yeah. those shapes are entirely important to your the yeah. overall pieces. Where, 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 where does that shape or that cut or that gesture coming come into play? That is like constantly changing okay. almost, which is really nice because you were talking earlier about the negative space. Mm-hmm. And that has helped a lot with the work is being able to not just stick to the shape that I create, which is I start making those shapes from a drawing. So it all comes from a drawing. And I always think of painting as kind of like drawing that you just fill in. Mm -hmm. So in my head, it's kind of that same concept is just filling in this shape with painting, but I already did the painting. Yeah. Um, But the shape the shape of the canvas in the end has become a little bit of a game of kind of cutting and it's like almost giving like a haircut yeah, yeah. it goes back and forth so that element of the shape is actually growing and changing all the time right for me right and that negative space has become a lot more of an intention for me mm-hmm. which is really good so the shapes are just always all over the place so and you use acrylic paint correct Yes. For the most part. I use a lot, a lot of different acrylic based paints. Yeah. Yeah. Flashé and screen printing ink and just whatever I can mix in there. Right. Right. To switch it up. And are you comfortable talking about how you, how, like how you construct these? Because I think that's actually one of the great things that I learned when I was at your studio last is how, how these things are anchored together. Well, they're, they are sewn. Okay. And that is really big part of like keeping it like showing like that's it makes it very sturdy it makes Mm -hmm. it a real object Mm because it's like completely binded together Mm -hmm. um yeah and it i guess yeah that's how it's made (laughs) no no that's fine um and it's also i feel like it's important to mention that you're painting the rope once it's yes once it's molded so it becomes like a very harsh it's usually well the ones i'm thinking of are you're painting the rope like a like a carbon black yeah. Um, and it, it has like a real power bouncing off a white wall or when it bumps up against one of yeah, the colors you're using. Yeah, it is really fun. So there's a graphic quality to that line. Especially um, with the lighter colors too. Yeah. It's, a, it's good to play with that white space yeah. and kind of that control of the white cube that's just always going to be there. So yeah. I always know that I have that interaction. No, I think it's great. I mean, it's like I said, it's like it's a, it gives it a power for sure. Yeah. And a presence. Um, I wanted to quickly talk about the the the, the backsides of your work. Um, I had the privilege of seeing them in progress in your studio, and you coat the backsides of your pieces usually in like a bright, almost fluorescent pigment. 
yeah a pink or a yellow or something like that and it kicks a glow when they're installed on a wall so you, you're thinking about light and how that light reflects or reflective light off of a wall can you can you walk me oh, through yeah. sort of you like how me, you figured that out and you helped me with even thinking about it yeah even more oh because okay. um at first it was kind of like this glow that would come from behind it in a like a little bit of like a halo usually with like orange or red but then you were saying like really nice that it kind of dulls out this dark shadow that the oh, pieces yeah, create. yeah yeah um, turns it into a gradient Almost. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it kind of is almost fully alive. I think the idea of putting the fluorescence behind them was to kind of give that sense of like this is alive and kind of like also the neon kind of reminds me of the signs a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Brings so it you kind back of feels a little bit like um, what is it when you're like when not when but like you can't really delusional a little. That kind mm-hmm. of like sense of like. Am I seeing? What am I really seeing? Yeah. That it plays with optics a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that neon um, helps a lot. Yeah. It's a nice gift because when these are installed on the wall, they're not flush. They sort of ripple and move based on, I mean, it's just the, 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 the nature of the, of the materials and how they have sort of moved when you've applied paint to them. So yeah, they relief in parts. say they're like wind chime kind of yeah. wind, mobile type of structure Mm -hmm. so you can imagine like yeah but they they cast a shadow and then with that reflected paint that that shadows often has a glow to it it's a nice little gift on top of everything else it also helps with this um using the both sides of the canvas and Mm -hmm. making it um activating both sides so Mm -hmm. that it's necessary for it to be unstretched i'm trying to imagine you working on them and like working on what 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 you probably define as the front and then flipping the whole thing over and then (laughs) giving the back a certain amount of respect and you're doing that on the floor on a table how, how are you how are you i mean these some of the big ones sort of require to be on the floor so you can be have uh, a yeah. superior view and be above and over them definitely on the floor a lot a lot of on the floor a lot of on the table but yeah it goes a lot between being on the floor and being on the table uh-huh. and then do you when you hang them on the wall? Do you also work on them, or do you, are they done by the time they get onto a wall? Oh, they're yeah, definitely not done before they when they're on the wall. They're like you're still okay bare bones, but there's a nice kind of like back and forth also there. Yeah, putting it on the floor and bringing it back up, and I think for me, I always think for abstraction in my head, I think of the floor. Mm-hmm. And I don't think of the wall. I think that that's like a big shift for me in Mm. art is people thinking about the floor more than the wall. Hmm. That kind of like magic of something being made somewhere that it's not displayed. Right. So that's a huge part of what I think makes the works a little bit magical for me is that the gravity that it takes to put them together and to make them work is almost like it's even more noticeable once you put it on the wall for sure because it's like hanging there as if it's on the floor yeah i also like the perspective of being i mean that's what i was saying about having superior view you being above the work and looking down on it definitely you're able to observe some things that sometimes aren't as obvious as they should be when it's on the wall yeah you're like almost in control those intersections and points and relationships from some of the larger shapes that you're making and the empty areas and where that rope line 
pulls in and it pulls back out. Um, Helps yeah. a lot with the moving around. Too. Yeah, for sure. That That's definitely completely reliable, yeah. right? Lying on the floor. And it's important for, I think it's important for abstract art. Great. Yeah. Another thing your work reminds me of, and we, we sort of riffed on this last time was, um, you know, they start to feel like um, musical instruments in a way. And I, and I think I mm. talked about a harp as like this, oh, yes. this very broad gesture, like the, the main structure of the gesture is like a diagonal up through and it sort of tapers into a curve at the end. And then you have all these very thin, um, uh, you know, strings that act as almost like lines through yeah. the thing. Um, and it, it got me thinking of like stringed instruments and I, and I know you don't necessarily think about that while you're making it, but I thought it might be nice to frame it like that for listeners as this, as these like bigger shapes that might hold an echo with like these thinner lines that you could strum or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And it's always nice. I mean, music is such an open and relatable thing mm-hmm. that it's always nice to be compared to that, especially when you're doing abstract work. Do you listen to music while you make them? Or what do you think about when you're making these things? I try really not to think about anything. Yeah, just like trying to turn off. Yeah, just because it feels a lot of times like the work, the energy goes right into the work. Mm-hmm. So I try to really stay really positive because I do want the work to have a certain amount of positivity to it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think that comes through for sure. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, especially in this times, it feels like everyone's just so ready to be down and sad. Yeah. That... Once you're happy, it's like people don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, there's enough reasons out there to be so bummed many. out. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, I guess we got to keep it real on that front. It's like a weird time, weird, scary, depre- arguably depressing time. So very. Um, I think it's like a nice. It's, it's nice to hear an artist sort of answering that by trying to be positive with the work, or or not be positive, but make work that evokes some sort of positive. Yeah, I mean, because we are kind of on this place where we kind of have to prove that we're somewhat necessary in a way. And I think that that's something that people need. Yeah, Yeah. I would would agree. Um, Yeah, and I feel like your work or or non-representational work allows the the artist's mind to wander a bit. Definitely. Um, I know, I guess, I guess... You know, thinking about the different phases of, of labor and work that go, go into making your stuff mm. and what areas are, are going to nudge you to sort of wander and space out or think about everything other than what you're actually doing. But then there's, I feel like there's probably a, a moment where you have to zoom, like zoom back in and pay attention to what you're doing. Yeah, definitely the construction and the engineering has mm-hmm. been the hardest part mm-hmm. like getting it to for example like i think there's a few pieces that you were talking about with the negative space mm-hmm. it's like getting that to actually be on the wall and to just stay there like it's a still object right. is a lot of trial and error sure so that's definitely the least fun <laughs> uh, right, but when right, i'm right. painting and i'm creating like the image and i'm working with color uh-huh. and i'm giving it a haircut I guess yeah. is like my best way to say that's it. a good way to put that's it. that's like really a f- mm-hmm. part where I try to think about like the work as if it's something that needs something from me like I'm like it needs something from me and not like I want it to 
represent something I need. for sure. Yeah, I identify with that. You know, the the parts when I'm working, um, when I like, I want to say like 80, 85 percent of the time, I'm able to like wander psychologically. Yeah, that fifteen percent where I have to actually focus when I'm what I'm doing, whether it's like a structural thing or like a fine tuning thing or an engineering thing. Like there's a yeah. certain amount of engineering in my work too. Um, yeah, it's a different feeling and it's not always fun. I'm like, oh, this feels like work or I'd rather be doing something else. Like I'm not necessarily learning or getting a new idea out of this. I'm just like getting through it. Yeah. And the sewing part for sure. Yeah. For me. I think that's, uh, that's a common spot for the a lot engineering of, of like kind of making it stay together. Mm-hmm. That could be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. That can be kind of like, oh, I didn't know that could stay there. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I know that you grew up in Miami. Yes. And the last time we spoke, I mentioned I spent a Halloween in Miami in my younger days. And I, in South Beach. Oh my God. With my brother-in-law that was living there oh, at the yes. time. Oh, yes. And yes. I remember this. Like, I wound up in like the nightclub scene and that's not who I am. So it's kind of like, ugh. I mean, no. I had fun, <laughs> but I was like, um, Where would you take me? If you, if, if, oh, if, yeah. I, were to, if I were to visit... Miami and you were there, where would you take me? What would I need to see? Oh, yeah. I think we did um, South Point Beach. That was my favorite beach. Okay. Growing growing up. It has like this nice little sand dune mm-hmm. that you can kind of like, I guess it's not the sand dune, but sandbar. Okay. Um, yeah. I know. It's so hard. I haven't been there in so long. Mm-hmm. But thinking about it, I'm like... <laughs> Like all the little kid things I used to do. Yeah. Well, I remember you mentioned <laughs> sneak you... into the standard hotel and like <laughs> go into the spa. And yeah. <laughs> that's what I would tell you to do. No, no that but... sounds great. I'll do that. Oh, the Venetian pool is really nice. Mm-hmm. Saltwater pool. I remember you mentioned there's some murals or oh yeah sign or sign painting in a certain area of Miami. Oh yeah. Well, okay. So I went to school in the design district. Okay. High school. And high school. Uh huh. And then there is Little Haiti, which has like all of the wall paintings and the wall text. And that is like so inspiring for me passing through that every day Mm -hmm. to get to to school. Mm Kind of just seeing the way that art was so integrated into their lives Mm -hmm. in a way that wasn't necessarily trying to have any deeper meaning, but also not trying to be frivolous. It was trying to like stand a purpose of sure doing advertisement and right. kind of like it was visual visual function yeah it was f- functioning as mm-hmm. advertisement but also yeah. as a s- sense of expression and i really liked that um what was it like markets influence. like uh and like markets covered with like drawings and pictures of everything that they sell fruits um, paint yeah fruits okay. but also like bags of chips and oh, just like cool. the same things you would see on a bodega plastered right the photographs cardboards. of all those things yeah, yeah. But, but they were painted, painted. And painted by someone who's like a local talent. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that's a lot bigger than a hand painter, like a sign painter. Sure, It's a lot more soul and it's just a lot more soul in an advertisement world. For sure. And I like that, that sense. Yeah. I think that anyone should go see that. It's a sight to see for sure. Yeah, that sounds great. And (laughs) Siri. (laughs) Siri. Siri. My butt turned Siri on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, did you tell me that your dad was a sign painter? Yes, he was. 
and you grew up sort of watching being around him while he was working or visiting him at his shop or, or yeah I, I guess one has because there's a, there's an element of sign painting in some of your it's stuff 100 percent yeah by that I imagine that's where it came from the sign paintings are actually part of the text that I'll or like the imagery that I'll paint on the canvas before I cut it up okay or it'll kind of evolve from there or an abstract image mm-hmm. um, yeah that had a huge influence on my interaction with abstract art I didn't do it or make it until I got probably until college mm-hmm. but um, just being seeing how easy it was for me to feel like a sense of satisfaction and freedom in it um, definitely stuck with me mm-hmm. and the signs and that relationship being my first relationship with art I think is a really good one yeah for sure um, you mentioned you hadn't been back to Miami in a long time. Are there times when you want to be back in Miami? Yeah, I'd say yeah. like it was like February, <laughs> uh, in the middle of March, the, <laughs> the middle of the, the Northeast yeah. winter. Sure enough, definitely not digging sure. it. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I'm just curious because you know the the urge to return to something that represents home. Yeah, comes and goes for a lot of people, and I'm always curious to hear what what those things that I mean I do n- want to know just there's definitely a part of it that I do miss which is like it feels a lot more like a melting pot than New York City does hmm. at this current moment yeah um so I do miss that like how multicultural it is and sure. how it, it just feels a lot more inclusive huh. in a way than I do feel here in New York yeah um and you came to New York for undergraduate school, correct? Yes. Um, and you went to Cooper Union? Yes. And I am always curious when I talk to people that, talking to people about their educational experience, if there was like a, a, a takeaway moment or some, like an aha moment um, that you may have had while you were studying at Cooper. Yeah, I think we spoke a little bit one the other time that, I was, that was a time where there was a lot of protests and there was a lot of change at Cooper. Oh, and this was about the tuition. The tuition. Yes. So we had a little bit of a funky president, mm-hmm. just similar to times. And just real quick to, <laughs> yeah, just real quick to give listeners some context that might, might not know. Cooper yeah. Union is a, is a tuition free school. It doesn't cost or it didn't cost students anything to go there, yeah. but they tried, they changed that kind of recently when or they started to change that while you're a student there yes okay and then, then you can pick we up. were yeah. all kind of getting together to do different types of protests there was a lot of different types of there was a protest mentality for sure that mm-hmm. was kind of like we have to take this on as our as a class um and i think yeah there was a definitely an aha moment for me when i did feel like i did leave to go to study abroad during like one of, I mean, it was the whole time I was there pretty much. So during that time, it was such a difference to be in a different environment mm-hmm. and to think about art and how to relate to that environment, I think is probably how I got this kind of protesting with positivity kind of mindset. Sure. Yeah. That's great. Um, another thing I often ask people during these recordings is um, who their work is indebted to. And maybe, maybe to set it up, I could give the example. I think about this project and where it came from, this, this oral history project that, that we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, 
I, I've always been a, a curious person and wanting to know how people do things and how they got from A to B to C to D. Uh, and when I, when I teach, I would have guest uh, lecturers come in, other artists come in to talk to my students, and I would facilitate and I'd ask the artists questions um, when my students were too shy to ask these questions. And, and I always really loved that moment of asking this artist like how they got started or yeah. where, you know, basic stuff like where did they get, where do you get your supplies or, you know, what do you do when you're out of money? Like these sort of very sort of straightforward things, but I always loved being in that space. And I sort of, I think I owe something to that, that, uh, um, that sort of dialogue in front of um, other people that, that want to share knowledge yeah so if i kind of set up set up that as sort of part of the dna of this project i mean there's a number of other things that have sort of inspired this project i'm curious what might be on your list for the work that you make yeah well i'm it's hard because the work that inspires me kind of i don't really try to make things look a certain way mm -hmm. as an artist so the work that inspires me is not always as similar looking to my sure. work sure but I would say the artist that's like the most similar would be Howadina Pinnell. Okay. She makes work that is painting, but also sculptural, but also material and mm -hmm. abstract. Um, and then reading where her work comes from and where her ideas come from is definitely something that has inspired me to think about my work in a way of releasing some type of a feeling and through repetitive action and stuff. So yeah. I think I owe a lot to the thinkings of her work. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna. I'm unfamiliar with her work. I'm gonna check it out now. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. Yeah. I think you'd like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned just then like the repetitive aspects or the repetitive motion. And I remember last time we hung out, we talked about ritual. Oh and yeah. And there's there's so much, um, and that's something that you're interested in ritual, um, and and repeated actions as a type of ritual. And I wondered if you wanted to yeah, talk a little I mean, bit about I definitely, ritual and where you find it seeping into your life. I feel like ritual is so important. Yeah. I do meditate and I do do a lot of rituals um, just to kind of get my head yeah. in the right place and also to make sure that I'm putting or receiving the right types of energy into my life. Uh -huh. But um, for ritual, I definitely think of the objects is almost a ritualistic. I guess when I look at them, I see them in that way of someone owning an object that's handmade mm -hmm. um, from a different types of cultures mm -hmm. that have more of an appreciation for that type yeah. of like a devotional object. That's another yeah. thing we talked about. Yeah, devotional and how objects. ritual sort of seeps into devotion and yeah, the devotion in these things. Yes, for sure. Um, so ritual means so much to me uh -huh. and it's definitely something that's so vague that a lot of times can scare people that word it has a little bit of like a taboo yeah it's funny i was just thinking like what rituals do i do and i mean i i, I have a cup of coffee just about every morning i read to my kids just about every night like these are sort yeah. of small everyday rituals but they're actually quite important they're super important and then i think i have a whole different set of rituals when i get into studio or i get into yeah. you know a mind space where i need to be creative or like make creative decisions and like i have some sort of ritual that i go through that might be a little mildly different every time i'm in here but there's like a there's like a there's a like a process i think that i go through and it's like 
catching my breath, looking at some of the work that I'm working on. Yeah. Um, I think we put too much emphasis on like habits Mm -hmm. and that not, not on rituals. Yeah. I think rituals Yeah, habits are kind of bad usually. We we contextualize them as bad. Yeah. Rituals more of a positive thing. It can be if Uh you think of it in a more positive light. And if you think of it as something that's going to be, (laughs) that's going to be like, good for you or uh-huh. could help you make the change that you need yeah. in your life, which I mean, hopefully we can like change to stop thinking of things as in boxes. Yeah, for, <laughs> sure, for sure. And then I was also thinking about, you know, connected again to the last time we spoke about devotional objects. And I was trying to think, do I have any devotional objects? And I, I don't know that I do, but I, but one of my kids does. She has a, a bunny, a rabbit that she's yeah. like a toy rabbit. That's like her thing. And it goes wherever, if we travel for a weekend, it comes with us. She's got to have it in her bed with her. Um, and I guess I like to think of like a devotional object is on one hand, I go to towards like a, a, like a religious object that's you know, like has a spiritual value system that we project onto it. That, but mm-hmm. I like these, these objects that like take on a personality or, um, you know, I think, I think the bunny rabbit, the toy rabbit in a way is, uh, this devotional object for my daughter that gives her a sense of safety and it's like a little friend and things like that. I mean, the two, they, you could toggle back and forth between like a, a religious thing and yeah, the rabbit, they're sort of the same thing. It's safety. It's security. I feel like if you take the religious aspect out of a lot of religious practices, then they could be positive. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think about your work as some sort of devotional object? I would hope that they could function yeah. that way. Yeah. I feel like they could. Yeah. And then, and then like, can I get back to the ritual of going to studio? I think there's something going oh, yeah. on there. You know what I mean? I think it's more like the symbols, um, the f- attention to symbols and language mm-hmm. that kind of brings the whole devotional object together. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we could talk about studio and, and, studio visits uh, you know I, I came to your studio a few weeks ago um and a friend we have in common uh, uh we were talking recently about studio visitor etiquette and I, and I wanted to ask pick your brain about this and we were just talking about like kind of bad behavior when when we have guests over to our studios when people come to our studio for example uh, um, we were talking about like when, when visitors come into our studio and they just start picking, touching things and moving things around without source, without sort of checking in first and like leafing through it. Like it's a record store or something like that. Like, yeah, that's, that's not appropriate. Um, and, and, and arguably kind of disrespectful. Very. Um, so I'm wondering if there's, if there's like, if you have any kind of bugaboos or like, like things about your studio where, um, or I don't know, anything on that front? Because um, studio visits kind of run the gamut. And if say, someone yeah. walks, it's like, oh, it's like this person. That's like a very bad thing to start a studio visit with. <laughs> oh, like comparing you to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that people will think of it as compliments and then they forget that like yeah. the work is different. Right. Because <laughs> right. I made it. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always feel like that's kind of like a lazy, lazy, very lazy. thing to do. Yeah. It's also trying to establish like a power dynamic, like, oh, I know this. Yeah, I understand. I, like, I read this book or I saw this artist. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just like a, like a, 
like a move to make the visitor feel comfortable or in charge or something, which yeah, it's confusing. I don't know. It's kind of, but yeah, touching kinda, the kinda work lazy. is rough, yeah. especially with my work. Cause I'm like, please don't, yeah. <laughs> even though yeah. it looks like it. Yeah. I've, I mean, the stuff's pretty solid. I, I mean, I've seen your stuff, but yeah, yeah you just want to not, this is not, you know, this, these are sacred spaces and they should be treated as such. Definitely. Don't go around like shuffling our stuff, you know? Oh. Um, <laughs> another thing is like, I don't know, stay off your phone if you like come over to my studio. <laughs> like, yeah, I would I don't hope know, you ever so. Deal with that? I haven't dealt with that, yeah. but I would hope that Yeah. it's like, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's your ideal? We just, we just went, went, went down like a short little, like a couple examples of like, poor studio etiquette for when people come to our studios what about an ideal studio is it like maybe maybe um it it hasn't even happened yet like yeah this this would be the best studio visit an ideal studio visit involves a good mixture of questions and comments Mm -hmm. but also a lot of looking before speaking i think Mm -hmm. that's like something that I appreciate when people seem to actually be looking at the work and not just jumping to these like really quick conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for the most part, any studio visit where like they're speaking before I'm speaking kind of, I think I like that. You like when they lead. Yeah. yeah. I just like to be able to hear what their re- initial reactions are. Sure. And I think people, when they come to studio visit, they think it's almost about like, they forget that it's a 50 50 interaction of like, I want to understand about you as much as you want to understand about me. Sure. So that's well said. Yeah. And it's like, I'd like to hear what you think mm-hmm. before I start to tell you what to think. Right, right, right. Like or plant I wanna, seeds. That, yeah. That, I don't want to plant seeds. I want to hear quite, yeah. your yeah. like honest opinions on yeah. things and not, Oh, I see this and I see that. It's mm-hmm. like I'm hoping that you can see these things without me telling you. And right. That's the point of a studio visit or any critique. Right. Yeah. I um I was talking to someone else recently about this and um we agreed that it's also nice when the conversation can just unfold and you start talking about stuff other than art. We talk about life and uh, I don't know, it's like Definitely. I mean, I think it can be broader than just, you know, look at this. You would hope so. Yeah. That's why we make art so that we can like somehow connect back to the real world. But we're dynamic people. We have other interests and other things going on that ultimately come back into the work somehow. So you might, you know, it's all interconnected in a way. Especially. Yeah, for sure. Um, What about sabbaticals? Do you ever take breaks from studio? Whether they're, whether it's a, 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 by design or you're, you're busy with a day job or you're traveling or something like that? I feel like I do sometimes take a break from making the works as like sculptures, mm-hmm. but for the most part, drawing is like, I can't even stop you <laughs> drawing. Take, right. That's true. Like you make, you make these, um, they're small, these beautiful, like almost like eight and a half by 11 drawings on mm-hmm. paper that they look, you know, what materials do you use? Um, it's acrylic and color pencil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but I use a lot of collage in there too. Right. Uh, and, and those drawings look like they can be made anywhere. You don't need like a, yeah. like a big space. You can make those in the kitchen, on the table, or on a counter. I do a lot, yeah. So I imagine that that part of your practice probably goes with you wherever you are. 
Yeah. Which is nice. And it's easy to feel like very connected to the larger practice of the works Mm -hmm. because they do stem from drawing. So it always comes back in some way. Mm -hmm. I guess going back into the studio, another another rhetorical thing that comes up in in these recordings, and I'm interested in it, and I think a lot of other artists are interested in it, is, is how we resolve problems in the studio, whether it's with the work or you're just not feeling it that day that you're there. Do you have any any things that you do or strategies to get yourself out of those creative ruts or or um, I guess that's sort of you know connected to like taking breaks from studio like getting some distance between the work but is there anything else that you do I definitely or, or try to about? see other art types of oh, art yeah. part types of arts <laughs> yeah 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 so not just like fine art yeah but like arts. Mm-hmm. I think that that's important because we kind of just think that painting and things on the square and on the wall mm-hmm. or on like a, in a white cube is yeah, the only yeah. type of art yeah. that there is. When what are some of the things you go look at? Um, I mean, theater, dance, like it's just all to me a lot more for like I just to see how many people can have uh, automatic reactions to it. Mm-hmm. I think that reminds me of how much art can be a little bit limiting in that way. And it kind of like clears me up from this like pressure. Like if these people are performing in front of hundreds of people, I can finish this painting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can finish it. It's cool that you're drawn to like more performative stuff as, as inspiration or a, a way to resolve problems in your painting practice, you know, mm-hmm. where you're making sort of still static things that, that you like to look at things that are moving or interactive I mean that's kind of interesting yeah I do because I feel like the works I mean especially with your practice you can understand like moving things around Mm -hmm. and feeling flexible I think when you can see someone being flexible and being comfortable in the moment makes you feel more makes me feel more confident making the work just remembering that like you can have an artistic practice that happens in a split second yeah yeah that's well said um and this is this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I'm asking other people this idea of like why we keep at this, or where the and like are you satisfied with the stuff you're making, or are you always trying to improve it and think that it could be better? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's this chase that I feel like I'm on, and, and I'm always curious if other people yeah. feel like they're on it too. Like, yeah, that one's good, but I can do better. So that's I mean, that's one of the things that keeps me coming back. Yeah. I'm just wondering what you think about that that's definitely way of thinking. Been exactly what's probably kept me making work is that I've just gotten bored, mm-hmm. and then I'm <laughs> like, okay, this is not right. Yeah. I'm not bored of art. I'm just bored of this thing that I'm making. Uh-huh. So, even like how I started to make abstract work, it was just kind of being bored of making the figure. So it's just like challenging myself in that way yeah. and keeping like a game. Yeah, I think is really fun yeah. for me. Yeah, especially with the work I'm making, because sometimes it does fail, like it, it doesn't stay on the wall. Uh-huh. So, how do you? How do you? I mean, your stuff is sort of anchored in different points. Yeah, maybe you could talk. Uh, you know, sort yeah. of taking us off. Right now, there's like bit. two. Most of them have two anchor points. Okay, trying to get to just one uh-huh. for all of them, but, um, yeah, that is definitely a huge part of like making sure those anchor points can have a place Mm -hmm. because now that I'm cutting a little bit more there's not much there (laughs) so I have to make sure that 
there's it can stay on the wall right. and that so there, the it's like a couple can, pins on the wall yeah that act as points to, to hang the work on in a couple um, different hooks. areas hooks yeah we're kind of like rings yeah let's say yeah that i attach to the pieces and they hang from there right so they're pretty simple in that way yeah sorry i took us way off tangent from <laughs> Talking about whether or not we're satisfied by the things we actually make. Yeah, no. But, I mean, uh, it's a pretty, that's an easy question. That's an yeah. easy answer. Yeah. No, not really. Um, but I'm definitely satisfied with where um, my practices being one of those people who constantly was in different types of, like I was never boggled down to one type of art class or mm-hmm. art um, practice to be in a place that feels like I can do uh, three different things it right. feels good yeah to not be like did, i'm a jar or a painter right I did you tell me that at one time maybe you were a student that you were trying to make three-dimensional work and it just wasn't oh yeah clicking no it wasn't working can you talk about that a little bit like how <laughs> oh my God. like like how um, you how you you know wrestled with that and then yeah i was just making really bad sculptures that were somewhat flat and somewhat they just did not make any sense Uh but this was all like kind of in between making my two-dimensional work Mm -hmm. so I think it was kind of in the back of my mind this idea of kind of like how can I make something two-dimensional but also Mm -hmm. three-dimensional but it just I was still stuck to this idea of like having an object I was working a lot with like found objects and Mm -hmm. stuff so I was still attached to like the actual object before and not kind of owning an object, mm-hmm. which is what I'm doing now with the rope right. is like owning right. it as my own. And you're making the object. Yeah. Right. Um, it's interesting to think about. I mean, cause I can see your interest in, in the third dimension or, 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 uh, you know, the idea of an object coming off the wall. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to think about, and we're just talking about like being satisfied. You were you were not satisfied by the the sculptures that you're making, and it's it sounds like it just evolved into this thing that sort of answered those needs, but functioned better and satisfied you, the maker, yeah. in a way. Yeah, it was sort of resolved itself. Yeah, through through just like working on it and pushing it. That's Definitely. nice to hear. Yeah, I wasn't satisfied with my drawings either, and or with my <laughs> paintings either. So it was just like. And, just going to figure out yeah. how I can be like a Frankenstein version of that. Yeah. This is a kind of a tropey question, but do you call your work paintings? I do in the grand scheme of things. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because it's 80% yeah. paint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, it's also like completely drenched in paint and right. almost all of the experience is painting. Right. Like it's a visual of like the color and of the paint. Yeah. And I guess to circle back to how we identify ourselves when we're talking using language. Yeah. It's just easier to just, uh, yeah, I make paintings and that sort of like resolves that semi annoying conversation. I have to like really unpack it for someone that. Yeah, definitely. Might not want to hear that whole long story. So, yeah. Expect, you know especially I mean? when it's hard to explain. Yeah. They're like, what do you mean? Yeah. Um, so, so you just had a show. Oh, yes. Um, and I guess I wanted to ask you about the titles because it's something that's such an afterthought for me. And it seems like you, I, I, I liked your titles for your work. Cool. And um, I, w- I wonder if I could go over a couple of them. Uh, she Walks, He Flies, I thought was a, kind of a nice little, almost like a little couple word poem. Yeah. Um, what's, your, what's your program for coming up with titles? Like how, where do you arrive on them? Um. Well, a lot of times the work 
will have the signs, um, the text and the signs will be an inspiration for the titles. And a lot of times it comes from the process of making the work. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's a little bit harder and sometimes it's not. So that kind of goes in between of like that feeling of like frustration and angst. It kind of like you can see it in the Mm -hmm. pieces (laughs) that took a little bit more or like have a lot more cutting and stuff. But the titles definitely come a lot from the text and from that kind of play on words of what mm-hmm. you the text see. that you're painting and, yeah. and end up cutting up. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a title in mind before you even start or is it? No, it's I at mean, the end. I try to not have anything in mind. Okay. Uh, until the end. Okay. Cause I really do feel like when you're making stuff and you try to put a lot of emphasis on what it's going to look like or what it's going to be, it just never ever. Oh yeah. Ever you don't want to, you don't want to over choreograph. Yeah. So thinking about the titles, things I tighten just up pretty like, quickly. <laughs> lose it <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's i'm curious because like titles are such an afterthought for me yeah yours seem very thoughtful and i'm I, you know oh that's, that's i wanted awesome. to learn i wanted to learn where where, yeah. where you where you come about them um i should mention too that your show's at turn gallery on the lower east yes. side of manhattan um and thinking about like showing showing your work and i mean i i have this feeling about the stuff i make in my studio is one is one experience and one way of like being around my work, and it's a completely different thing when my work is out in the wild. I feel like there's a you know it's like a, a, a different a few different factors that come into play that affect my experience uh, uh, of my own work, and 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 it's usually like market forces. It's some mild insecurity knowing that other people can now come in and like look at my work and therefore judge it. And at the end of the day, that's part of it, right? That's important. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you have like, is there any sort of difference for how, how you think about your work when it's in the studio versus when it's out in a, in a, in a exhibition or something like that? That's a tough question. Yeah. It's a tough question. Mm -hmm. I guess I haven't had much time to think about it, Yeah. but I definitely understand that kind of feeling of like, it just being another thing in the world, almost mm-hmm. like a, pro, like a, it goes from being this, like how I just spoke about like devotional object mm-hmm. with quotation marks to like an, you know, another product on a shelf in a way. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of the bummer part of it. But right. the nice thing is that it just kind of can leave and right. that's not my problem. You sort, of, you sort <laughs> of like, like let go of it in a way yeah, and release it. It's definitely lost its connection, I think, to me in that way. Mm-hmm. Once someone else is kind of handling it and touching it, it's mm-hmm. like, okay. Um, and was there a performance at the opening? Did you tell me? I, I wasn't able to be at the opening, but was there some sort of... Oh, there's going to be a dance performance. There's going to be a dance yeah. performance. Can you talk talk to... I mean, um, I just wanted to hear about it, you know, circling back to like movement and some of the figurative, the suggestion of a figure moving in yeah, some of your pieces. Yeah, I think it's a good... Um, combination. It's yeah. a choreographed piece. So someone's just performing in the space, and I think it's really nice. It kind of is a little bit of where the title, the Coco Currents, comes from. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it'll be a nice conversation with kind of like using the space for performance mm-hmm. when your show is up. I think it's a kind of and cool it connects idea. to one of your other interests, like yeah, the performative so, arts and theater. Are definitely. you going to be a spectator or a participator in that? Definitely. Performance? 
a spectator. Really? <laughs> Definitely Would you ever? not participating. No. <laughs> Would you ever do a performance? I could no, I don't know. You don't think I so? really am a little bit too self-conscious yeah. to do something right away. Maybe if I get really, I don't think I can do that. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have that muscle either. No, yeah. I just too, as soon as like a camera comes on or something, I'm yeah. just like, Ugh. Yeah. I have some friends that are really, really talented at it and good and, and new at it. And they're doing an amazing job of like putting themselves out there like that, but. I don't think I could either. Yeah, acting and stuff like that, just yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. We're just so in our own heads, in our own worlds, that the idea of someone else, that's like, that's what inspires me, that they can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do it yet. <laughs> yeah, when other people have something that you don't understand how they... Yeah, how they let can, them do their magic. How they, can, how, can they, how they can move through life like that. That's kind of, that's kind of nice to, yeah. to look at and observe and figure out how to how to do some version of that in our work maybe. yeah all alone in my seat you yeah. know, where there's <laughs> yeah. no one even there <laughs> yeah. yeah um i'm wondering if you have any dream projects that maybe aren't realized yet mm. um or goals for your work or places you'd like the work to land and i guess like in terms of releasing it you know we we're just talking about like when it leaves the studio um, does anything come to mind on that list? Um, I guess, yeah, back to the performance, it would be so cool to kind of be a part of someone's performance. Yeah. Even if it's back, like, I mean, not a backdrop, right, <laughs> but right. like, 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 like a part of a set or something like yeah, that, or that would be cool. Interesting. I could be into that. Yeah. I could see that happening. Yeah. Um, it would be nice. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is probably a good spot to round things out. Cool. Um, thank so you good. so much for being so generous with your time and, and sharing. So fun. Um, information about your work. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan. I, I love how it feels like it's moving off the wall. And it has, has a, like a, this weird snapshot of energy that um, like when you're sort of catching it peripherally, it looks like it's kind of waving to you in a way or that's like awesome. welcoming you in somehow um it's really nice that's awesome um thanks rachel thank you made it to the end a quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com you can also find the series and subscribe in itunes thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode